Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Reese Show, where we interview experts to help you understand where technology is headed and how it will impact society as a whole and also your daily life. Thanks so much for learning with us and enjoy the episode. Hello. Today, I chat with Esther Dyson, who is this amazing woman, wise woman, who has led a bunch of the governance initiatives for the early internet, like ICANN, and is now building holistic wellness with five cities around, or five towns around the United States through something called Wellville. And as you'll see in the episode, she is, I think she's a really brilliant perspective around pushing back on who is we, is we just like white dudes, etc. And then also, I think she does an amazing job of thinking about new approaches to building. And she is thinking about growth in a different way and scaling in a different way and how, you know, ecosystems can not be part of addiction. Like, you know, both people and companies shouldn't be addicted to profits and nonprofits shouldn't be addicted to grants. And it's brilliant. So I think she has a really great approach towards building that I think you'll enjoy. Thanks. Hello, listeners. Welcome to The Reese Show. I'm Reese, the co-founder of Root, and this is my world. Uh, I believe the century is a turning point in human history, and I'm here to help you navigate it. I hope you come away with a new understanding of the scientific, technological, and societal trends that are poised to radically reshape our world, and how you can work with those trends to become a live player in building a solar punk future. And to chat about building that beautiful future, uh, I'm excited to chat with Esther Dyson. And Esther was the founding chairman of ICANN, is an angel investor and on the board of many great companies and nonprofits, and is the founder of Wellville, a 10-year nonprofit demonstrating the value of long-term investment in health and equity. Esther, thanks for being on the show and welcome. Thank you. Yeah. When you said that thing about this century being the turning point and stuff, did you include Russia invading Ukraine? <laughs> that's, that's a good question. I, ooh, maybe it's funny because in some forms, I think that that is just a sub piece of so many more intense things that are going to be happening as we do this massive energy transition and the climate crisis and the technological revolutions of AI and crypto continue. So I think it's going to be intense. What, what do you think when you think about this as an important well, century? I mean, you can, you can talk about all those interesting technology, very, very big fundamental shifts. But then, you know, you have a country that basically becomes Lord of the Flies mm-hmm. and just really throws so much up in the air. Mm-hmm. And it's... You know, and it makes you realize how poor the governance is of everything else. Mm. Yeah, you're saying that, hey, this thing can randomly happen and, and throws everything up in the well, air. The human, it's, it's the human frailty that kind of makes all the other stuff not irrelevant, but fundamentally changes a lot of the calculations. I love that. I think that's a good perspective and pushback in some ways it's like I'm like oh technology this technology and you're like oh like you know yes and also like Putin just this random person and all like he can just like decide these things and so there's a deep human frailty to our governance systems yeah. is that what you're I mean he's, well he's a random person but the way our society is working now we're going to get more and more random people I mean mm. you, you look around at what's happening around the globe and there's more and more political division within countries including the US, the UK, Uh, Hong Kong is fundamentally gone Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, and 
you know, when does it stop? And we're sitting here, well, we shouldn't do that in case we get, you know, nuclear weapons used, but how are we going to stop them? Because there doesn't seem to be any... Other way. Yeah, I mean, there doesn't seem to be anything that is going to stop him, because my assumption is he's going to die in office, mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. however that happens, because he has no future outside of being in office. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, that's a good perspective, and I think it's interesting to hear... I mean, part of that is like the, the, you know, how systems perpetuate themselves. And then also that we just have, you know, we're in this place right now as a society where we know that some things need to change perhaps, but there's no clear, the like alternative, like we know where we're going from, but we don't really know where we're going to. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Well, I mean, part of the problem is we, you know, who is we? And yeah. A lot of we is just white dudes, mm -hmm. um, or it's Americans, or yeah. half of Americans vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the world, or it's all the rich folks, and you know, the, the challenge is we may know stuff, but there's a broader world out there that does not include that we. Yeah. So I think it's, it's all very well for we, us, mm -hmm. to know something, but it, until the rest of the world agrees or until we agree with the rest of the world, because it's a very we-centric point of view. <laughs> yeah, totally. I remember going to something where, you know, we were all so devastated when Hillary lost. Well, you know, half the country wasn't. Yeah. And the same thing, uh, yeah. With tons of stuff. I mean, I totally, I love that. It's like challenging the we yeah. and saying like, wait a second, it's, and especially for me as a rich, white, American, straight male, it's like, I got all the, like, if you add them yes. up, like, it's, you know, like, I'm the person who's super privileged. And your we is getting smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it, what do you mean by my we is getting smaller and smaller? Like, um, my, my feeds or my... No, know. no, just in, in terms of, you know, the, the population of oh. the rest of the world, the <laughs> other races, the women who are in power are all expanding, and yeah. it's... You know, if, quote, we, and I, I, I mean, I'm not a white male, but still I would include myself in the ranks of the privileged, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if we don't actually reach out more effectively and help the rest of the world to become empowered, and if, you know, if we are so smart, they want to be smart like us. If we're really stupid, maybe. But the point is, as a minority, this we can no longer have its way everywhere, and we're seeing a lot of mess. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that I love that perspective too, where it's like when you think, for me, a lot of my life has been where I've been the majority, you know, yeah. um, and then it is, but then when you think about the world as a whole, and it's like, oh wow, there's by the year 2100, there's going to be roughly 12 billion people. It's going to be, you know, a million in North and South America combined, a million in a Europe. Billion. What's that? Sorry, a billion, a billion. Oh, God. Yeah. Sorry. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be a 12 billion, but the it's going to be very differently distributed. It is going to and be a lot of, it's, so many more African, like 4 billion folks yeah. in Africa and so many folks in and, Asia. And so it's like, I'll be definitely a minority then. Yeah, I'm and, but, you know, the, the goal is for the world no longer to be divided into these, for, for the world as a whole to invest in the success of the whole. Yeah. So that you know, you may speak different languages or have different color of skin or eyes or you know whatever, but there's a sense that we are a 
human community. And frankly, mm -hmm. my biggest disappointment, I used to joke, well, you know, for what we really need for pulling the world together is an extraterrestrial evasion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, seriously, there was some hope COVID would do that. In, yeah. in a better world, it would have brought us all together. Yeah. But we can't it, help ourselves. It divided ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. That's, Over to you. No, no, that's yes, no, that's great. I love the pushback. And I think, okay. and let's 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 ask another kind of because um, when we were chatting chatting before the show, we were thinking like, oh, what do you want to chat about? And one of the things that you brought up was this kind of meta point of addiction. And so I'm curious, addiction as a theme and how it kind of rolls okay. through a bunch of these because you're into all these different fields. Tell me more yeah. about how you think about addiction and how it shows up in those ways. Well, so one thing that computers don't do very well is a metaphor. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I mean the, the essence of understanding things is understanding what they're like, and then discovering, oh, this explains. So, I, I first really discovered addiction when I went to Russia in 1989, mm -hmm. and alcohol was a huge problem. Yeah, and the what was most interesting to me was it was the men who drank because they felt fundamentally useless. Mm -hmm. They, you know, and this is obviously an overstatement, but useless jobs, and then they brought home money that was basically useless. The women stood on lines and turned the money into things they needed, like food and clothes, and took care of the children. So the women had purpose mm -hmm. and meaning and people who needed them, mm -hmm. and the men didn't. And, you know, sort of noticed that. Fast forward, you have Angus Deaton and Anne Case and the deaths of despair. Yeah. And, you know, again, this whole we thing, it used to be addiction was black people in mm -hmm. urban neighborhoods and suddenly addiction started hitting white folks mm -hmm. and then the the white we mm -hmm. began to notice oh my god this this is really an epidemic yeah and i started working in wellville where you know these are five communities that have a lot of resilience and they've developed that resilience partly because they have a lot of challenges they have you know they're small, so they, their schools are underfunded, mm -hmm. their healthcare systems are not that great, there's not good food, and that actually makes you strong, but it also damages a fair part of the population. Yeah. And one of the challenges is adverse childhood experiences and addiction. So I started yeah. just learning more about that. And fundamentally, addiction is a mental behavior pattern and you can get addicted to and dependent on drugs. Mm. You can get addicted to a lot of things that you're not physically dependent on. Yeah. And but the the pattern is sort of you, you might start with something for pleasure, mm -hmm. and then if if the rest of your life is not in good shape, you, know, you look to it more and more for pleasure. But the pleasure doesn't last because you know you can you can be high and feel really great, but you wake up the next morning and you have a headache and you have no job, yeah. or you're arguing with your spouse or whatever. Yeah, you start looking instead of you think you're looking for pleasure, but what you're really looking for is relief, mm -hmm. and you start craving that relief, but it's short term, mm -hmm. and so that as that happens, you lose you lose your breadth of perspective. You, you, it's like you need this one thing for relief. You forget about your family and the things that used to matter. 
and you also really have no sense of time or of mm -hmm. any kind of narrative arc. You're stuck in this wheel. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that, everybody. We um, had a uh, the room that we're recording in is in a WeWork and it is hot, and so it, maybe the computer shut off. Yeah. Or maybe, it, who knows what it was. It could have been a computer for any reason, but and Esther and I were just actually joking about the um, the show Hot Ones, where yeah. you um, eat spicy food, and maybe the Reese show should turn into something where we sit in a sauna together. <laughs> or we could eat popsicles and cool down. That would be anyway. nice. So, yeah. Addiction, I love what you're talking about with the, the cycle versus the yeah. narrative arc. Right. Um, yeah, I mean that, or even, you know, for Yancey Strickler, for example, the narrative arc, the arc, your job is not to finish the job. Mm -hmm. Your job is to hand it to somebody else. To yeah. It's a relay race. Yeah. But people get stuck on this running wheel. Yeah. And that's, so you can get addicted to anything from drugs, which also have physical dependence, to food, to gambling, or quote, gambling, investing, mm -hmm. or you know, shopping or, or just seeing yourself on TikTok or, I mean, yeah. yeah. And, but then what I realized is it's not just people that get addicted. So mm -hmm. it, one of my favorite comments was um, from Zephyr Teachout, mm -hmm. the lawyer who ran for office in New York. Okay. And she said in her book, Break the Month, mm -hmm. a Profits in a business are kind of like sex in a marriage. Yeah. They're, they're fundamental to the enterprise, you know, and they, <laughs> they are the, if you like, the, the underpinnings of the you know, perpetuation of whether it's the business or the, the marriage. But at the same time, more sex does not necessarily make a marriage better, mm -hmm. and more profits do not make a company better. Mm -hmm. And what people in Silicon Valley are addicted to is exits. It's like... Mm -hmm. They build the businesses for that. They crave that one moment of relief when they, you know, they get an exit. Yeah. As opposed to building something sustainable that balances the interests of users, employees, customers, owners, whatever. Yeah. And so that was kind of interesting. And then what I discovered more and more working in Wellville and in the nonprofit sector is so many small nonprofits become addicted to short-term grants. Mm. And they, oh my gosh, there's a grant, $50,000 for yeah. a high school science class. We've got to find a grant writer for $10,000 <laughs> to get the $50,000 grant. Yeah. And then you have three or four little outfits each spending $10,000 for a $50,000 grant. And the net value of that is $50,000. Yeah. Plus, you create this competitive as as opposed to collaboration mm -hmm. within a community, mm -hmm. and finally, yeah. you you run the program for one year. You don't build anything sustainable, mm -hmm. and next year there's another What's grant happened? for sixty thousand yeah. dollars, and that one's for basketball for high school seniors. So, <laughs> and what philanthropy should be doing, which is what we're trying to do at Wellville, but without giving them money, yeah. is getting them to build their own sustainable organizations. Yeah, and so we we come in. We don't give them fish. We don't teach them how to fish. Mm. We help them build their own fishing schools. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Let's let's dive into Wellville in a second. But I think you're you said a lot of things there about addiction that I really resonated with. One is this concept. I, I like what you said too about the. I mean, I think the image of the hamster wheel versus like a long term narrative is really good. And and so I just 
whenever one find, and I found myself in these hamster wheels before, like, oh, wow, and you wake up the next day, you're like, was that really part of this long-term narrative arc for my life? No, it wasn't. Oh, maybe I should rethink that. So I love that. I also love kind of, and then you go know, back to the kind of both the two by two that you have and the two by two that we're referencing with Yancey with the bentoism, where it's like, you know, when you're doing something that's only focused on like now me and doesn't have the holistic like future us or now us yeah. or all you know the it's like that's probably a bad thing, you know. And so you can kind of be like, am I being holistic here about my the people around me and also the future people? And if not, you might be it might be an addictive behavior. Yeah. Um, that feels powerful. And then the final thing you said, which I think is super true, is like then how it gets manifest in organizations, um, both on for-profit that's just like, oh, trying to, you know, make lots of money um, when, and then losing sight of your, your your goals or whatever. And then also for, I mean, for us, we're a nonprofit little startup studio. And yeah, we're thinking about some things like, oh, there's this money that exists out there. How much should we go out and try to just do grant writing? But then how long should the grants be for? Yeah. And there's a lot of... Um, Possibly bad things there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's lots of enabling institutions. It's not as if people want to behave this way, but companies keep trying to addict them, whether it's to bad food or video games or whatever. And you know, again, the whole investor community is addicted to these exits, as opposed to you know, it's it's not everybody should be sitting around holding hands <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> singing, but at the same time. Business is part of our culture, and mm-hmm. it needs to be part of the moral and ethical culture as well as part of the, you know, it's 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 all metabolism right now. Yeah, yeah, interesting. When you say it's all metabolism right now, what do you mean by that? I mean it's all about feeding itself. Yeah. You know, like the AI that you tell it collect metal to do something, mm-hmm. and suddenly it turns the whole world into paper clips. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like you need. You need a vision that's a direction, mm-hmm. not because then you can keep going and getting better versus, oh, we just want to get to the North Pole. Yeah. I love that, too, because I think another thing you said there, which is that this weird process of, like, exits and then also with nonprofits, the competing thing, yeah. versus, like, what's the shared outcome here that people are looking for, and how can we collaborate around that shared outcome? Do you want to talk specifically about Wellville for a second? I'm curious. I know you have these five different communities around the, the, the United States, maybe, and maybe Canada, yeah. and they are, and what are some of the specific things you're doing? You said you're teaching them, you're not giving them no, fish, no, you're not, not teaching, teaching them, them, you're not teaching them, but you're we're helping them to build their own fishing school. Yeah, so, tell me about so that. Like what's that yeah. um, what it means is, there's five communities, that it started in 2013, in 2014, we it actually started. I mean, in 2013, we, my CEO and I put out a call for applications. We got 42 communities oh, of cool. under 200,000 wow. people that applied. And it was, it was interesting because it was pretty vague. We had some hope of doing like an X prize prize and that never happened. Mm-hmm. And we thought we'd have five communities, five metrics, five years. Mm. And Precisely because it wasn't a formal grant from some institution that had you know, this proposal. Yeah. We we were more like a startup in terms of being flexible. Mm. And anyway, we visited ten of these communities and selected five, not the five best, uh-huh. but the best group of five. Mm. So that they were different and you know, different institutionally, different 
So one of them's Lake County, which is just north of us here. We're in San Francisco, and Lake County's about an hour or two north of here, beyond where the billionaires <laughs> hang out in Napa Valley. <laughs> uh, another is Classic County, Oregon, which is two hours northwest of Portland. Mm -hmm. Muskegon, Michigan, which is basically at the western end, western edge of Michigan on the lake mm -hmm. across from Milwaukee. And that's the one that I work in primarily. Mm -hmm. uh, then there's Spartanburg, South Carolina, which is a city as opposed to these other three are counties. Oh. And then there's North Hartford, which is, again, sort of an anomaly because it's basically a, a subset of Hartford. Yeah. And that's where Rick, our CEO, works. So, and we don't live there because if we did, we'd probably start interfering way too much. Mm, yeah. um, and things... Things go slowly. This is the whole point. So after a couple of years, I felt comfortable enough to commit to 10 years, both in terms of money and time. Cool. And we collected our team. And so we basically are coaches. We work with the people of the community who want to work with us. And what's really interesting is we have no contracts. The Maybe the organizations we work with are real organizations and they have employees and we have, yeah, we are all, quote, consultants or I'm a volunteer, but they don't need to listen to us. We're not giving them money to make them do what we think they should do. Mm -hmm. And they're not paying us for advice. So mm -hmm. our advice has to be, and our questions have to be good mm -hmm. or, you know, it's, it's like they don't need to listen to us. So, yeah. but if we ask really good questions, they will. And so in each of the communities, it's 10 years, a lot of things change over time, yeah. people change. And what we're focusing, we're having our annual gathering for the first time since 2019 up in Lake County next week with people from all five of the communities, a total around 70 people. And one of the big things we're going to be focusing on is this, how do you get institutions to collaborate instead mm -hmm. of competing for scarce resources? So if you yeah. get a grant for 50K, Instead of, oh, I got it. It's like, well, we got this grant and we actually, we'd love to give you some subset of yeah. it because this other organization has a complementary skill. Yeah. So now in Muskegon, I'm really proud. The, uh, the Goodwill and the YMCA are working together on childcare. Mm. And Boys and Girls Club is working now with something called Kids Food Basket. And there's, there's just a lot more, how do we actually compliment one another hello we're back we yes. have moved away from the hot room <laughs> yes. which is closing the, com the computer and what we were just chatting about was um you were talking about wellville and collaboration and collaboration yeah. that sounds yeah. so amazing and well another another big issue is again the, the people who have time and money yeah are they vary but the ones we work with are people whose jobs it is to do this. Mm -hmm. And they work for nonprofit organizations, primarily of various kinds. But then they're the community members. And they're, in a sense, they're a really important part of this. Yeah. But traditionally, you know, it's like the nice people do it for them. And mm. the goal is we want it to help them do it for themselves. It's yeah. just, it's not, oh, invite the 
people to the table. It's help them set their own table and then yeah. maybe go sit at it. And so, yeah. but there are lots of things we're talking about, like paying community members to show up because, you know, it's, it, you shouldn't be expected to do this for free while there are people being paid and so forth and yeah. so on. So how do you, yeah. And this gets into later on the issue of governance in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Governance, governance of your community should not be a, a, just a, a free volunteer contribution all the time mm-hmm. for people who have two yeah. jobs and childcare and so forth and so on. And, I mean, one interesting impact of, of COVID has been a lot more people showing up at community meetings because they can afford to mm-hmm. and didn't need to worry about childcare. Mm-hmm. I always remember going to this event in Scranton where they invited in the community members. This was Geisinger Health System and other people like that. And the community members came and guess what they brought with them? Their kids? Yeah. 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 Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, actually, those community members are the people who take care of my kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's like these things need to be noticed and then rectified, and you need to figure out how can you actually foster genuine agency and presence and power. Yeah. Which means giving up some of the power of the former we. Yeah, I love that. I think there's a lot of things there that are really cool. Well, hey, it's, it's, it's cool also, I think, from, from your perspective. Let's turn this up a little bit more. Um, it's cool from your perspective to hear your interest in that you've kind of come from this more techie world, you know? And then, But then we're like, wait a second. Let's look at society. Let's see what needs to be done and what doesn't need to be done. And you're like, oh, wow, this program, which is a 10-year nonprofit thing with five communities, like, that's like, and there aren't that many people doing that. So I just want to like, thank you for that. And I think it's a really kind of brave and interesting move for you to put yourself out there and say, no, this is important work that needs to be done. So thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, th- this work needs to be done, but the work isn't that work. Yeah. I mean, the communities need to do it for themselves. We, we yeah. well though want to use the communities and scale by inspiring other communities and, you know, fostering more racial equity and understanding the huge disadvantages that our system of racism and redlining have created and how to rectify them. We want other communities to look and say, wow, Hmm. if those guys could do it, so could we, because they're real people like us and they, they didn't start out perfect. And another really interesting impact of COVID is it sort of gives you a free pass to try something new mm. because you no longer need to defend the past. Mm-hmm. And mm. it, I mean, it doesn't always work. It's a blank slate and, and, where you can kind of yeah, do I stuff. Mean, and it's also devastated people. Yeah. I mean, it's killed some people and devastated their families and so forth. But the, it, it, as you talked about an inflection point, mm-hmm. COVID really, number one, has made people look at, all the dysfunctions in our society and to think a little bit about rectifying them because mental and physical health are so much a function of your social environment, your economic capacity, your race, all these other things. And 
they also make you much more vulnerable to COVID. Yeah. Uh, but what we want the rich people to understand is, you know, pay to fix it because it's a lot cheaper yeah. to to raise healthy kids than it is to pay for sick grown-ups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of... Well, A, I love what you said there of like, even my perspective was just like thanking you for the work. And you're like, wait a second, it's not really about thanking me. It's kind of like, you know, you're just kind of part of this piece of them kind of helping themselves, yeah. the communities working. Yeah. Do you I see mean, it? Is that kind of what yeah, you're pushing I mean, back on? You know? Well, I guess it's not because I'm nice. Mm-hmm. It's because I had a, there was an issue in my apartment building where you know, some people own the, own it and they have access to the facilities and then there's some renters from the past who don't and yes they pay less but somehow they're not treated very well mm-hmm. and this doorman said you're such a sweet person and I said no I'm not I'm a fighter for justice mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 I mean it's it just it offends me uh, yeah no that's great I love it it's like yeah and you're, you're offended and you're like yeah we gotta do work you know and so yeah. like you get to it so I love that and I think the other thing you said there's the idea and in root my org tries to have this, which is to let, let money flow through us back to other folks who are doing similarly good work. Or it's like, if we receive money from someone, we're like, Oh, like we gave 5,000 bucks to this other org recently. We're like, you're doing great work around civic abundance stuff. Like you can, here's like 5k for you. Um, and I think having that mindset is really, and I know like the valve, um, people in Seattle are doing a similar thing where they're like choosing three orgs and then giving the group of three yeah. 2.5 million and letting them kind of do what they want. 2.5 million sounds good, but I mean, it, it needs to be enough so that you can actually invest in something, yeah. not just rent it. Here's 5k. Yeah. 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 I mean, 5k to again, start a project. Yes. But really the goal is to build things that are self-sustaining. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I think the self-sustaining piece is interesting. And then also the way you talk about scale is something that I've chatted about before, but I think is you talk about a great way, which is you're doing it in five communities, but your goal is not necessarily to grow to 25 communities by the next year and then 100 communities by the No, your goal is to show a model. And then if other people are interested in the model, they will like, you know, remix it and pull it from you or whatever. Yeah. But it's not like the hyper growth, hyper scaling, blitz scaling. Yeah. It's like, hey, they'll kind of, it'll spread if it spreads. And it's very much, it's an approach rather than a model mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in the sense that, I mean, it's like raising children. You don't, you, Alison Gopnik, Berkeley nearby, yeah. wrote a wonderful book called The Gardener and the Carpenter. And the fundamental idea is you know, your, your kids cannot be constructed to perfection like mm. a, a chest of drawers. They need to be grown. And if your kid's in a nasturtium, don't try and turl- turn it into a tulip. <laughs> but so each each community and each each plant in your garden needs to reach its own potential, not not some particular model. Mm-hmm. So in the communities, I mean one of our heuristics is help make the effective people more effective mm. because then they will be more willing to share and collaborate with the others. Yeah. And there's a, a countervailing heuristic, which is help the you know, typically underfunded mm-hmm. minority, you know, local outfits versus the large, yeah. you know, big sort of, I mean, the other, end, yeah, well, I mean the other end, they kind of get, stifled in bureaucracy and how do you help the small ones grow and become effective without turning into anyway yeah that's I mean the whole point is that there's always 
a need for balance. And again, you want something that is sustainable and keeps moving ahead as the circumstances change rather than, oh, we've finished this one. Yeah, I love it. I think, let me ask you, because I think in many ways you're doing great on the ground work with all these things. And in other ways, I think that the thing that most people can learn from you, whether it's they're doing community work or whether they're making a for-profit order or a non-profit or whatever, is this approach that you're talking about and the, the kind of holistic bento version of it and also the you know collaborative nature of it and the kind of scale through kind of um, you know remixing the model. Like there's a lot of great things there that I think are really powerful. Let me ask one other question though, because I'm not sure if I totally get this part or I'm thinking about it myself too. Yeah. In terms of making something sustainable, and like, and you, yeah. you said, hey, we're a ten-year nonprofit. You know, we're not just like a nonprofit. Yeah. Tell me more about how you think about sustainability or or growth or whatever within these kinds of within like nonprofits or just yeah, like financial. How do you think about that? And like, you know, well, I mean, again, it's the your your goal is to give somebody something that is not perfect that they can take and make it better than what you gave them. Mm-hmm. And again, you have, you're, you're not trying to finish. You're trying to get it ready for the next generation. Mm-hmm. And you know, you need to think about yourself as like a parent, you got to let your kid go. Yeah. And likewise, a CEO or a office holder needs to get things ready for the next generation. Mm-hmm. And we're not very good at doing that either. Yeah. Right now, our Congress is full of people even older than I am. We are back, people. Our, our computer is running. And yet, you could go on. So I noticed this thing, again, first in Russia. I mean, imagine you're a Russian. Nobody in your family has ever run a business. You, you, you start this business, and amazingly, it succeeds. It happened a few times. And they found it so hard to let go. Because in mm-hmm. the U.S., there's this assumption, yeah, I'm going to be a serial entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And in Russia, it was like, oh my God, I've got this business. I've got to hold it tight. And mm. there, there was a lot less willingness, again, to let it grow up, to let someone else take it to the next stage or whatever. And yeah, we're seeing a bit of that in Silicon Valley right now mm-hmm. too. Where people, once they have their thing, they're kind of like, oh, I want to like keep this thing. Yeah, of like and I, I want them. voting rights. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then... You know, the only way it's the only way they disappear, as the Russians like to say, is uh, through yeah, Travis Kalanick or yeah, Adam Newman. Mm-hmm. If it anyway, fails really hard, then yes, you get right. yeah. And so maybe as we get into rap mode here, a question I have for you is: How are you thinking about? So again, you did all this amazing governance with ICANN, um, and then it got um, uh, you know infiltrated by uh, you know, corporate interests and now you have all these TLDs. So tell me a little bit more about yeah. that. And like, I mean, very, very briefly, yeah. the ICANN story, I, I wouldn't say that I did an amazing job, but it was a creation of the U.S. government and the EU, but they sort of pretended it was you know, internet community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, things that are founded on sort of fake story, it's mm-hmm. never really good. Mm-hmm. Then the patron saint John Pastel died of complications after heart surgery, so it was really being run by a law firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our first job was to get rid of the network solutions monopoly on the top GTLDs, yeah. uh, which we did. And our, our real mission was to create a vacuum so that governments could not control the internet, mm-hmm. which we also did fairly successfully. Mm-hmm. 
but we failed in the second part, which is really to create a governance of the internet community. It ended up, and here we go back to, well, who has the time and money to show up at the governance meetings? Mm -hmm. It's the people with a business interest and, and a concentrated interest. I pay you know, a few hundred dollars max a year for domain names. Yeah. I'm not going to go to an ICANN meeting. <laughs> yeah. And in the same way, in all these DAOs, you, know, you have a, a metaverse run by some company. And, okay, it's a distributed company, but who in that distributed company actually goes? 25% of the tokens are owned yeah. by these VCs right. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah, and, I mean, wonderful Oscar Wilde phrase from like, two centuries ago. Trouble with socialism is it takes so many weekday evenings. <laughs> That's funny. And so it, it ends up, ICANN is basically a protection racket run by registries, registrars, and trademark lawyers. And, you know, and that's better. You can take, better you take my money than you take my voice. Mm-hmm. But it's, I'm, I'm concerned that people think that the governance problems are going to be easy and they're not. I mean, mm-hmm. we're seeing that whether it's Facebook slash Meta mm-hmm. or Russia. Mm-hmm. Or Twitter Hong getting, Kong. yeah. What yeah, or the Twitter? whole Twitter. Yeah. Uh, we're just a few blocks from Twitter. I passed their headquarters yep. and I walked over. And so I think you need to think about that at the beginning, not not when the problems start. I mean, just in Wellville, you know, think about people's health and their kids, so that they become resilient mm-hmm. and well-educated and happy, well-fed, mm-hmm. loving adults with social connections, rather than doing a repair job when it's too late. Yeah, that's great. And I think as we get, yeah, so A, I think for me, I've learned a lot about how you're like, or I wasn't expecting this, but your perspective on how you approach the world is really is really cool. And I think that... Um, it is, you know, hardened in the fire of ICANN and, and, and tech startups and all these kinds of things. And I think yeah, and it's Russia and uh, being yeah. a journalist and asking questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think I love all that. And I think that there's, and then for me at the end, there's like, I, I really love how you do a good job of always applying a similar approach or frame to both individuals, but also to orgs where you, and you just sit there where you're like, Hey, we're taking this org level frame, which is you need to set the right incentives and governance structure up at the beginning and then the thing will birth into a good thing and then you applied it to kids and you're like oh well make the kid good and then it'll um, grow up so i think that's great um, do you have any um well, a for folks who are listening um check out you can check out uh wellville.co.net okay dot net um w-e-l-l-v-i-l-l-e dot net um esther has also a, a uh, like she's on twitter at at, S- at E. Dyson. At E. Dyson. Thank you. Um, D-Y-S-O-N. Is there anything else that you would recommend to our listeners either find you or any final parting words for them? Um, yeah, my motto is always make new mistakes. In other words, try things out, learn, uh, and go forward and try something else out. And don't make the same mistake twice. Yes, precisely. <laughs> um, well, that, thank you so much, Esther. And I will go forth and um, only make mistakes twice, maybe three yeah. times. Yeah, one time, one time. Um, beautiful. Thank you, everybody. And thank, thank you, you Esther. Goodbye. Thanks so much for listening today. If you like the show, please give us a five-star podcast review or subscribe on YouTube. And if you'd like to chat about this episode with a community of amazing, smart, ambitious, divergent people, come on by and join our Discord. You can find it at root.co. That's R-O-O-T-E dot co.
And then finally, if you'd like to contribute to these ideas being shared more widely in society, you can support the podcast production team at patreon.com slash Lindbark. That's patreon.com slash R-H-Y-S-L-I-N-D-M-A-R-K. Thank you so much.